16, Acts 16. Today, I want to, uh, to talk to you about something that I see in this passage that, that I want to uh, frame around the idea of spiritual cardiology. So, uh, how many of you have regular uh, cardiologist appointments, right? So, it is, uh, heart disease is, I'm, I'm going to start with a downer here. You know, heart disease is the le- leading cause of death for men and women. Um, one person dies every 34 seconds. One in five deaths is related to heart disease of some kind, and, and uh, you know, we have all kinds of different things that fall under that. I, I have high blood pressure and, and take, a, take a blood pressure pill, um, as many of you do, and, and so we're accustomed to the idea of cardiology, to the examination and the study and, and thinking about our hearts and, and how our hearts should be working and, and taking treatments and uh, doing everything around that. But today what I want you to think about is spiritual cardiology because the bible has a whole lot to say about our heart it is a uh, picture that the bible uses to talk about the seat of our affections and our emotions so obviously when the bible talks about someone's heart being opened they're not talking about uh, a a physical (laughs) opening of the heart open heart surgery What they're talking about, what the scripture is talking about, is it's symbolic that God opens their heart to change their affections, to change the things that they love, so that they will accept and love the things of God. And and the Bible talks a lot about the condition of the heart. You think about throughout the Old Testament, God would often chastise the people of Israel. And he would say, you stubborn people of a hard heart, right? One of the promises of the new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah is that there's coming a day where God will take out of you the heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh. These pictures that that God will do something in us, that God does something in us, that, that he is the ultimate spiritual cardiologist that gives us A heart that is sensitive to him and to his word and to his things and to to allow us to love and desire to know God. And so in this passage today, I want us to see four heart conditions. Four heart conditions that I think that we can see as they're grouped together as we go through this text. And it's it's a long text and so we're just going to read it in chunks as we get to each section. But just a a little way of background, if you remember last week, we we looked at uh, the the passage that's most known as the Macedonian call. Uh, Paul and Silas, they pick up Timothy, right? Uh, Luke seems to accompany them because at this point in the book of Acts, we have we statements talking about the missionary team that's going out. So it seems that, that, that Paul, Silas, Luke... And or Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are all going together on this second great missionary journey. And, and they want to go into Asia. And they're trying, and it says that they keep being prevented, right? Remember that? They keep being prevented. We don't know why, but they couldn't. Paul receives a Macedonian vision, a man in Macedonia the, at the edge of Europe that cries out and says, come help us. And they decide 
this is what we need to do. This is where the Lord is leading us. And so they go. So what we pick up today is we pick up on that journey. Now that they've been prevented to go to Asia, they're called to Macedonia, and they go. And there's, there's, there's two places here that, uh, that, that we see uh, where they go. The first heart, can, and, and there's four instances of hearts that I want you to think about. The first is this, the open heart. An open heart. Begin reading with me in verse 11. Follow. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We are re remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate of the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had gathered together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized and her household was as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So after receiving this call to go to Macedonia, they, they set sail. They immediately go. Remember, we, we said last week, if God calls you to do something, it, you, it's, it's wise to confirm that. It says that they confirmed that this is what God was doing. It's wise to confirm that. But then don't form a committee and wait. And so they, they decide that this is what God is calling them to do. And they take off. In fact... They take off very quickly the way that this is written. It says um, it, they, they come to uh, this island and then they go to this next one and then they end in Philippi in two days. That two-day journey in Acts 20 is a five-day journey. So they were, they were booking it. They, they had, I mean, you can just imagine they had been prevented from doing what they thought that they were to do. They kept hitting closed door, closed door, closed door. God opens the door and they run. Isn't that great? I love that picture. When God opens a door for you, run. Do it. Be faithful. And, and so they come to Philippi, and, and we're told some interesting facts about Philippi that, that, that will be helpful as the story goes along. As you read it, you're like, eh, it's a Roman, it's not a Roman land, but it's a colony. Here's basically what it was. It, it wasn't directly under Roman rule, but because of something that they had done, Rome would often... Um, col make colonies in some of these areas that then they would have some of the rights of Rome but not necessarily be under the rule of Rome. So it's just kind of this, this odd special circumstance that these individuals had that they had this Roman citizenship being part of a colony but not directly under Rome. And, and like I said, that's going to come into play later when we see the way that the law is carried out here. And that's why it's added at the beginning. So they, they come into this place and, and they go to be, it says they're there for several days, verse 12. They're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. There's no synagogue there in Philippi. I mean, we, we saw that, that that was one of Paul's major uh, methods for preaching the gospel is that he would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and, and he would come in and he looked like a rabbi. And as tradition would be, if a visiting rabbi were in the synagogue, they were often asked if they would like to share something. And so Paul would use this cultural um, understanding 
and he would go into a synagogue, and he would, on, he would usually be asked to share something, and, and he'd get up and begin to share the gospel. But there's no synagogue here. And we've seen this in other places where Paul just goes around preaching because there's no synagogue to, to kind of start from. And so here they find out that on the Sabbath there is a group of people that gather by the riverside to pray. There's a group of God-fearing people. There's no synagogue, but there's a, a group of God-fearing people that go and they gather by the river to pray. And so that's where they go. They go down to this riverside where prayer was customarily made. It says in verse 13. And here he begins to speak with some women that have gathered together for prayer. Now, these were most likely individuals very much like Cornelius. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he is a God-fearing Gentile. He is not a Jew, but he is someone who has had some kind of familiarity with the teaching of Judaism, that he has become somewhat familiar with the, the God of Israel, and he... Uh, seeks to follow and obey even though he's not a part of the covenant family so that's kind of the assumption here with Lydia and possibly these others that are gathered they're, they are God-fearing Gentiles but they're not Jewish people and so Paul begins to uh, speak with them and verse 14 is what I want to want you to highlight if you if you are, are like me and don't consider it a sin to write in your Bible, <laughs> I don't edit my Bible, but I, I make marks in it. That's just how I read books, right? This is the highlight right here, verse 14. It says, as Paul and, Paul and Silas spoke to her, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said. The result is seen as verse 14. She's baptized. The result's seen as you go on through the passage. Not only is she baptized, but they go and, and her, her household comes to faith also and is baptized. And then she, we see obedience. She, she, it's, it's interesting. She presses upon them, stay with me. She is obviously someone, it, it, some, some insight that is given about her is she is a seller. She is a merchant of purple goods, which would have been um, an expensive, rare commodity during that day. And so um, she seems to be someone who has some means. She has a, a home that she asks them to stay in and is used by uh, this church in Philippi. We see at the end of this passage that they come and they gather there. And so we see a heart opened and a life transformed. Do you see that? We see a heart opened and a life transformed. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. What we see in this passage in verse 14, in this simple story, and there's, there's a lot of assumptions in here because it just says that, that God opened her heart to hear, to, to pay attention, and then we see obedience out of it. And so if you read between the lines, somewhere in there, she had faith. Opening her heart to receive means that she had genuine faith in Christ, in the gospel message. Are, are you with me? And so here's what I want you to see. This is a beautiful picture of how salvation works, how salvation always works, how it worked in the book of Acts, how it worked through the apostles, how it worked today, and how it worked in your life when you stop and think about it. It's this. God uses his people to faithfully, lovingly live out and proclaim the gospel. That's our part, right? We're called to live it out, 
we're called to share with others. We're called to love others. We're called to look for opportunities to share the gospel with others, to point them to Christ, to, to minister to them that they could hear the gospel. That is our work. That is our job. That is our call. That is our great commission. Amen? God has a part. There's lots of people to whom Paul preached to that never responded. There are a lot of people that we will love on, will minister to, will share the gospel with, who will not respond. The difference that we see here is the activity of God. God opened her heart to receive these things. This is very similar to Jesus as he talks to Nicodemus and says, unless a man is born again. And Nicodemus goes, what do you mean born, born again? I go back to my mother and... and Jesus says, no. He says, it's like this. The wind blows. You know not where it comes from, but you see the effects of the wind. And so he says, so it is by all who are born by the Spirit of God. That God is at work. That God is causing hearts to be opened and, and, and for individuals to come and to, to see their need for Christ. To see their need that they have sinned against God and that Jesus Christ through what he did on the cross, his life for them has made an opportunity that they might be forgiven. And, and, and then a desire is in their heart that, was no longer, that wasn't there before, that, that not only are these facts, but I must believe in this and trust in this, and I too can receive salvation. That's God's part. Our, our part is to faithfully, lovingly, minister and to share the gospel with everybody without discrimination. God's part is to open the hearts. And then the individual to whom he opens their hearts, we know because they respond. That's their part. Are you with me? So no one, no one comes to, the, salvation doesn't just come to some people and they have no idea of it. Everyone who is saved has a genuine faith and a genuine experience and, and genuinely confesses of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ. And this is how salvation works. Think about your own life. You might have been a child. You might have grown up in a godly home. You might have, from before you were even born, sat in church services and heard the word of God preached. We've had, we've had babies here that when they're born, my voice soothes them. Because they're used to it. Yeah, that might be you. And, and you really don't know a time of great rebellion. You really don't know a time that, that God's people and God's word wasn't around in your life. But you do know of a time where all of a sudden it clicked. It, it went from I'm just a part of the church to I need Jesus as my savior. And God opened your heart. And you responded. You might be like me a little bit later in life. And you know you didn't have the desire of God in your life. The things of God you thought were foolish. People, why would they go to church on Sunday? That's silly. Why would they do these things? I have much better things to do with my time. You had no desire for the things of God. You thought people at church were weird. And all of a sudden, at some point, somebody 
faithfully doing their part, lovingly shares the gospel with you. And maybe you've heard it many times, or maybe it's the first time. And, and for some reason, something changes. It's not because they manipulated you. It's not because they, they tried to brainwash you. They just simply explain to you from the scriptures who Jesus is, what he's done, why you need them. God, man, Christ response. And for some reason, that day and that time, God opened your heart. I remember that moment. I, 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 I remember when I received the gospel, I, I remember knowing I, I must believe in Jesus. I, I have to do this. He alone will save me. And God did the same thing. He took that spiritual scalpel and he just whoosh, opened it up. He, he took like the new covenant promise is and he took out the heart of stone, and he placed in me a heart of flesh, a heart that desired for the things of God. Uh, uh, no longer was I opposed to the things of God. No longer did I have no affection or emotion to the things of God. But from then on, I have loved and desired to know God. That's heart surgery. That, that's the picture that the Bible gives to it, the open heart. And so every salvation... Whether it was during the uh, time of the apostles, or it's happening at this very moment as you listen to this message. God uses his people to proclaim the gospel. That's our work. God accompanies that in individuals and opens their heart to receive. That's his work. And we, who then receive it, respond to it. And that's how individuals are saved. And this takes a great burden off the preaching of the gospel. Let me, let me tell you why. When I first was saved and I had a desire to, to share the Lord with others, I really felt burdened that it was my responsibility for them to receive Christ. Like I, I had to do it right. I had to say it right. I, I, I had to make sure everything was right so that they would. Because I didn't want to mess it up. I wanted them, I wanted them to know Jesus. And what it ended up doing was disappointing me, and not only disappointing me, but making me very angry. I remember witnessing to somebody an ending going, are you dumb? Why won't you trust in Jesus? What is the matter with you? Well, here's the problem. God hadn't done his part yet. And sometimes we do our part, 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 and we wait for God to do it. Paul will talk about this later as they're fighting over who belongs to who and who got saved by who and he says i planted apollos watered but god gave the harvest god's spirit is the one that came so we see first an open heart we see an open heart there is a genuine genuine salvation results in a genuine change that the affections the the heart loves christ sometimes sometimes we 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 will say we'll talk about salvation to individuals like this we'll say will you let jesus into your heart and i know what we're saying by that but it's kind of unhelpful uh, i remember when i was a summer camp worker and 
and I was talking to a kid, and, and I said, you know, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I let Jesus into my heart. I was like, that's fantastic. What does that mean? He goes, I don't know. I think he's in there. Like, he just lives in there. He had no idea because, again, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of figures that are used in that speech. It's not wrong, but the reality of it is, is what we're, we're talking about is the picture that God changes our life. He opens our heart to receive and to believe, and, and that we willingly then come and we do that. But some don't, right? The reality of it is, as much as we would wish everyone would hear the gospel and receive the gospel and, and, and be saved and their lives would be changed, the reality is many have a hard heart. That's our second heart condition, a hard heart. Look at this story of a hard heart beginning in verse 16. Beginning in verse 16, we have this. As we were going from, to the place, for pr the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination that brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate for customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined them in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders for them to be beat with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into stocks. So... Great day with Lydia, right? They, they go down to the river. They find these women praying. They share the gospel. God does an amazing thing, transforms her life. And they're like, next week, let's do it again. <laughs> so they gather together. They go back to the river to do this. And, and, and what had been happening throughout this, throughout this time is there is this slave girl who we're told has a spirit. She has a demon. She's demon-possessed. And the demon is giving her um, the ability to prophesy things. And somehow, her owners are making a whole lot of money off this. I don't know if they're giving like stock tips, right? Sports scores. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but, but, but think something like that. Think that, you know, they had this demon girl who was able to give them stock tips and they knew each day whether or not the market was going up or down. And she's making a great profit for them. And it's kind of an interesting passage, isn't it? She's, she's walking around every time she goes by and she's saying, these are, these are people of the Most High God who are making way known of salvation and it's annoying Paul. Well, why is that annoying Paul? Right? Doesn't that seem kind of odd? Well, here's the reality of it. Satan is trying to preach the gospel. It's being corrupted. The gospel is, the gospel, there's a truth, but it's coming from a corrupt source. Satan will often do this. Satan will often, if he can't destroy the gospel outright, he will try to manipulate it. 
He will try to use individuals who don't live it to give an example of it. He will try to, uh, to dilute it, to make it unclear, to make it come from individuals who are not trustworthy, who don't live according to it. And so I think that's the way we've got to think about this here. We have a demon trying to preach the gospel. And everybody knows that this slave girl, they think most likely that she's probably possessed by one of their gods. And so they have enough of it, they tell the spirit to leave, and you would think this would be a great day of rejoicing. That poor girl, tormented by a demon, has the demon gone. But it's not a great day of rejoicing because these people that have been making a lot of money off of her stock tips or whatever it was, they get very upset. They didn't view her as a person, they viewed her as an object. And Paul broke their object by freeing her. You know, it's often that we see the hard hearts of individuals when their sin is confronted, when their desire and love for the world is, is changed or brought before them. We see just the hardness of what it is. Many of you may have experienced, as I experienced, you became a Christian and there's a lot of people that no longer wanted anything to do with you. You said that, that, that I, I want to follow Christ, I, I want to be a part of the church, and, and they might have insulted you, they might have just walked away from you, but they didn't want any part of that because their hearts were so hard to the things of God. Here, the, the, the whole town experiences a miracle in this girl. They, they experience a miracle that she is delivered from a demon, and how do they respond? They arrest them, and they beat them. You see the hardness of that heart? They, they come and they say that uh, these men are servants. They, they, they say that these men are Jews, which they weren't. And they are teaching customs that are not right for people like Philippi, like us, that are part of a Roman colony. Rome would not be happy with the customs that they are teaching. You see the accusations they're making? And this most likely, well, what, what is this that they thought that maybe they, they were accusing them of? In the Roman world, the Christians were often accused of being atheists. Isn't that ironic? The Christians were often accused of being atheists. And here's the sense in which they said that. They didn't worship the Roman gods. They said there is only one God. And so because of that, they were often accused as atheists. And so if they're preaching, there's only one true God, you can see how they would begin to make these accusations against them. And their hearts are so hard that they, they have them beaten and they put them in prison. The reality that we have to face is we have to remember that the individuals who are in the world and, and caught in the world and, and are under Satan's influence and his control is the prince and the power of the air. They are opposed to the things of God and don't be surprised when we face individuals that have hard hearts. Hard to the things of God, hard towards you for your love for God, hard towards you if you desire to share the gospel with them. So what happens next? Why do, we, why do we keep going? I mean, hard hearts are disappointing, right? 
(laughs) Facing hard hearts is very disappointing. But every once in a while, we'll see a hard heart turn into a desperate heart. And that's what we see here. A desperate heart. This is the third heart condition. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in prison, remember? They beat them and they put them in prison. They're they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. (laughs) What what a day! not over yet so they're in jail the jailer who's part of the beating and tormenting and locking them up is there they're in jail and uh and what are they doing they're singing and praying they're singing and praying you know this is a great reminder of the power of our testimony isn't it When hard times come, how do you respond? Is your life full of praise and seeking to glorify God? When when difficulty comes, when difficult news comes, do do you show the peace that passes understanding because you have peace with Christ and, and, and you're able then to endure and to weather and to praise God even through difficult circumstances? That matters to people because they're watching, right? You know, there's the phrase, you might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. Now, that's not to say that we discount sharing the gospel and the Bible with others. But but the reality is, is that there is a watching world to see how Christians respond and how Christians live. And so here, they're, they're arrested, they're beaten. All of this is injustice, right? And, and, and they respond by praying, okay, this is where God has us. And so they're praying and they're singing and God sends an earthquake, a great earthquake. And it's interesting because this earthquake only seems to have one purpose. There's no destruction, the walls don't come down, the doors open and the shackles come off. It's a very targeted act that God does. And and so uh, you have to remember that at this time, these these prison guards, I mean, it it was a serious job. You were to watch over the prisoners, and if the prisoners escaped, your life was taken. Like, I don't know who would want to sign up for that, but they did. (laughs) That's the way that it was. And so when, when he wakes up after this earthquake and he sees that the doors are open and shackles are off, 
He draws his sword and he's ready to be done with it. And here's Paul and Silas. Don't do that. We're here. We're here. Yeah, they could have been bitter and just let him take care of himself. But they yell out and they, they stop him. And, and, and here's what I want you to see. Even in this circumstance, he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And they explain the, 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 the gospel to them. Even in this circumstance, we see the hand and the providence of God at work, don't we? Just as God led these missionaries to Lydia. You know where Lydia was from? The place that they were trying to get to in Asia. That's where she was from. And instead, they go to Macedonia, they go to Europe instead of Asia, and they still find Lydia, and God leads them there, and he leads them to her, and God opens the heart as they proclaim the gospel, and now they, they end up, even through all of this hardship, and all of these hard hearts, and all of these things, and, and they remain faithful, and God is still at work in the background through his hand of providence, getting the gospel to the right person at the right time, that they might come to faith. It was no accident that you come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this. We do our part. God does his part. And so here, the, the, the circumstance is made. This man is incredibly desperate. And they cry out. And, and between their testimony, between why they know that he knows that they're in prison, the hardship, the love and the kindness and the compassion that they've shown to him, he, God has opened his heart. It doesn't say it right here, but God has opened his heart in the midst of this de desperation and he realizes, what can I do to be saved? Isn't that beautiful? And, and so, they explain to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. Now, our, our, our Paedo-Baptist friends use these household baptism passages to say, look, all the babies got baptized. Like, there's always an assumption that everybody... Everybody who gets baptized has babies in their house. Um, but the reality of it is, is what we see with the jailer is we see a picture. He says, you and your household, meaning it, salvation isn't just for the Jews. Salvation is open to you as a Gentile, and your whole family can receive it. And then it says further that they go to the household, and they explain the gospel, and the household becomes believers, and the whole household is baptized. Did, did you catch that when, when you read through that? We're not reading between the lines here. It just clearly says that that's what's going on. And that's consistent with the doctrine of baptism. That's consistent with the meaning of baptism. I won't park there too long, but, but that is an important place to see that. So it's what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It, it's a beautiful picture here. They, he cleans their wounds and they baptize him. And all of his household who comes to faith you know the reality of it is is that god often uses desperate times to open hearts doesn't he there's a there's an old truism and i don't know who exactly said it first i've seen it from a number of individuals but it's this god's man's extremity is god's opportunity man's extremity is god's opportunity and what you will often find is that when you come to a place that you trust in Jesus Christ, it's often when you're at the end of your rope. When you realize, I can't save myself, I need a Savior. When you realize, my wisdom 
is not good enough to get me through this. I need to trust in Christ. When you come to a hardship and, and you don't know how to go on and, and you pray out in desperation, save me. Man's extremity is often God's opportunity. And so as a pastor and as a Christian, we need to think about this. When we go to, to share the gospel with others, we need to look for individuals that are at their low. We need to, to be willing to share Christ with those who have reached the end of their rope because the reality of it is is when a man has it all together and everything seems to be clicking and they're just in the world and they're enjoying their sin they really aren't prepared and ready to receive the gospel often are they that's when you find the hardest of hearts but when you find individuals who realize what sin has done in their life the results of sin the reward of sin that has been reaped in their life and they're at rock bottom. And they're desperate. It's often at that moment that God is at work. And we need to come with the gospel. So when we're faithful to live out and proclaim the gospel, we'll see that, that sometimes in extreme situations, God is opening hearts. The last heart here is a caring heart. A caring heart. Look, look at verse... 35 through 40 through the end here when it was day the magistrate sent the police saying let the men go and the jailer reported these words to paul saying the magistrates have sent to let you go therefore come out now and go peace paul said to them they have beaten us publicly unwelcomed men who are roman citizens they have thrown us into prison and now they want to take us out secretly no let them come themselves and take us out the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, and they apologized to them, and they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison, and they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, that seems like a really weird ending, doesn't it? Here, here's what I want to share with you on this. What we see, the caring heart, is we see Paul's caring heart. They come the next day, the, the magistrates have had a change in heart and realized that they probably shouldn't have thrown them in prison. Well, guess what? I think God had them in prison for a certain reason, the jailer and his family. And so they come that next morning and, and they, they tell the jailer they can go, let them go quietly. And this is where that beginning part where it talks about Philippi being a Roman colony, this is where that kind of comes into play. There were rules and obligations there in that world and in that culture that they weren't following. And they had created a great injustice to Paul because of him preaching the gospel. And so Paul demands that they recognize publicly that they had wronged him. I don't think Paul's doing this spitefully. It doesn't seem to be the character of Paul, the one who's willing to take beatings and, and do this uh, you know, all over and then walk away. I think what is happening here, Paul knowing the circumstance, Paul knowing what's going on in this city, this group that came together and, and, and had him arrested, that they'll go after the other Christians that are now in this city. Does that make sense? And so Paul kind of like draws the line. He, he, he teases it out saying, you have gone against your own customs, your own laws and how you've treated us. And he brings it to a point. I mean, you could almost imagine in our day if a, uh, if a church or a denominational body 
was unjustly attacked in the court systems. And they just pushed the point to make sure that there was legislation and recognition that that is wrong to do. Does that make sense? And so Paul publicly brings this out, and I think the reason is because he cares about the church. He cares that, that they're not going to see undue persecution here. That it's, that it's known that we can't just jail these Christians, these believers, and beat them. At the same time, they're, they're ready for him to go, and Paul seems to be ready to go. He gathers together with the believers there at Lydia's house. I think this is the location of the first early church in Philippi, the first house church there. They gather together, and, and they're encouraged, and they go on. You know, this whole experience in, in Philippi, later, Paul will write in Philippians as he's uh, near the end of his life, and he'll say this. He'll say, I want to remind, I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He writes to remind him, the things that happened in your town and everywhere where I went, I know that the Lord's hand was on me. What a great perspective that that is. We've seen four heart conditions today. Do you have an open heart? Is your heart open to the things of God? Has your heart been open to receive the gospel? Perhaps today, God has opened your heart and, and you want to, to follow Christ. Perhaps God has opened your heart and you know that you need to follow him in, in baptism or some other commitment that you need to do. Would you do that? Maybe you have a hardened heart. Maybe you've just sat there and grimaced and thought, this fool, the entire time that I've preached. I, I understand. There was a time where I would have sat in the chair and I would have thought the same thing, probably worse. Because God hadn't worked in my life yet. My prayer is that God would work in your life. And know this. He may bring you to a point where you become very desperate. And have a desperate heart that that might happen. But I would pray that God would even do that. That in your extremity, you would find God's opportunity. And he would open your heart. And you would believe in this message of Christ that I proclaim to you. Last. I hope that we who know the Lord have caring hearts. We, we desire for, for the word of God to be prospered, to be, to be disciples, to, to help see disciples grow, to help see people come to Christ and, and do the things that we can do of giving our time, talent, and treasure that they might grow in Christ and the gospel might be furthered and, and might be strengthened and the glory of God might be known more and more through his people that we would care. What kind of heart do you have? How's your heart if God gave you a checkup? Pray with me.